this conversation's going pretty well, right? Okay. I mean, do you think so? I don't know. I'm so far, so good. I mean, we've been having fun, I assume. We've been sharing some laughs so far. Yeah, hope to continue that way. (laughs) (laughs) So that's no accident. I just bought a new uh, microphone arm for my desk, and I just figured out that it has like another telescoping thing. So before I like, I would have to do this. (laughs) <laughs> but now I have it right up against my mouth. That's great, dude. It looks nice, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. It's not like one of those spring-loaded ones. Those were just like such a disaster. That's what this is. It's like the the lamp from Toy Story. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, this, I see. Whatever when this you say technology spring-loaded, is. I thought you meant like a like, like a, a boxing glove. glove. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That comes out of a coffin. <laughs> It would be funny if uh, it was that aggressive. Like there was no like control of the mic just like <laughs> slams into place. Yeah. Okay. What are we talking about today? <clears throat> the rehearsal. The rehearsal. Um, does anybody have, uh, Justin, I imagine you do uh, any like backstory on like how the rehearsal like became a thing like Um, when he went to hbo or i was hoping you would bring that because i thought to myself maybe i should like do some research for this but then i thought no i'm in the capable hands of two veteran podcasters and uh, i didn't two podcasters who haven't like touched the microphone in like six months so i don't know how how much credit you can really give us fair uh, okay, then, well, if we're not, if we don't have any, like, formal information, let's just, like, react to it. I mean, Wild do you know anything? I, I know nothing other than just it's Nathan's new project. Well, I know he's, like, been associated with, like, HBO probably since, like, the how-to stuff got started, uh-huh. right? Yeah, he has a, he has an overall deal <clears throat> with HBO, which I'm a little unclear on, uh, you know, after they announced that, I think within a year of them announcing that how-to happened... Um, and then this has happened, but I also know he has a show on Showtime coming up, which I don't know if you guys have heard about this. It's called, it's called The Curse, and he is writing and producing it with, uh, Benny Safdie. I think Uh it's Benny, one of the Safdies, and it stars him and Emma Stone, and, uh, Nathan and Emma Stone, and they are a couple who, Mm -hmm. um... I, I don't know. This is a little vague, but I think they, they feel like they're cursed in some way. However, the overall premise of the show is that they are also a couple on a, an HGTV-esque reality show called uh, Flipanthropy. Flipping. Uh, presumably, they flip houses or, you know, one of those kinds of shows. Sure. So anyway, that's a scripted show that's, I think, going to premiere in it on Showtime. And I have no idea... Uh-huh if that factors into an overall deal with HBO. I'm assuming not, since it's Showtime. Yeah. That's cool, though. I was totally unaware of that. Um, Him, like, putting himself in a show with Emma Stone where there are a couple seems like a real, like, Nathan Fielder the character sort of move. Yeah, it absolutely (laughs) does. I was was just... This is is related um, conceptually. I was just rewatching Black Dynamite, which I haven't seen in many, many years. We it's, watched that like last year or something. Yeah, for the show. It's still very funny. 
it, it really holds up. But I did not know that in the universe of the movie, and I don't think this is ever spoken, but he's playing, he's playing a character uh, who is the actor who's playing Black Dynamite. So the guy, Michael J. White, is in his head, he's playing a, he's playing a guy, like a fictional actor, and that actor is playing Black Dynamite. Very funny to me. And it, that feels like a Nathan concept. It yeah. feels like... <laughs> Isn't that the, the Tropic Thunder sort of approach? Isn't that what... It's, it's sort of... Yeah, sort of is, right? You're mm -hmm. layering these realities to construct more realities. That's funny, because you said there's no acknowledgement of it in the movie. I don't think so. Maybe in, like, the credits of the movie, but as you far as just... I know, this was more, like, in his own head. Oh, uh, okay. Because you could just say that, you know? You could just say like, "Oh, I'm just playing this." Oh, this but there other are guy. no. There are details. So like, the okay. actor that he's playing was a former football player, and so he can't turn his head. And so, if you notice, okay. Black Dynamite will turn like this, <laughs> and it's because Mike in the in the universe Michael J. White is created. Uh, he's a football player who was like injured and can't turn his his head. Huh. Hmm. That's great. Stage directions yeah. that were never given to him. <laughs> that he wouldn't no. waver from even. Oh, I wanted to thank you, Justin, for turning us on to the Blank Check podcast. That's like been occupying a fair amount of my time ever since. Oh yeah, you showed it to me for sure. Uh, I love that podcast, and it's uh, my brother who turned it on to me, turned me cool. onto it. So cool. That's good. Yeah, they're great. Uh, it's like the kind of podcast I want to emulate with just less kind of nerd energy. Right. right. Well, I mean, good luck with that, because I think there's a good amount of nerd energy here. It's just a different, you know, a different kind. I couldn't hope to be as advanced as those guys are. At yeah, it's what, pretty impressive. Yeah, I can't they, perform at that level. Yeah, what they know mm -hmm. about. It made me really, like, check myself. Like, the, <laughs> the way that I approach, like, recording a podcast. I'm like, these guys know exactly what they're talking about, and we're just three guys shitting around that's true but also i think they make like you know fifty thousand dollars a month on patreon or something insane like that so you're when you're that's getting crazy. paid the big month the, huh. the big bucks then you better know your shit they've they give off the impression that that's just how they are though you know yeah that, i think that so. like if they were if they were getting paid nothing that like the knowledge base would remain and the takes would remain the same yeah, for sure. Which you got to appreciate that. Because mm -hmm. I think there are some podcasts where it's clear there's an artifice. But uh, yeah, when yeah. it's two guys who are just genuine. I want to uh, find an, an intersection of that and uh, your Kickstarter sucks. That's the sort of podcast energy I'd like to. Buddy, you're speaking my language here. Yeah. I know. One, um, is, one is like uh, very knowledgeable. The other has no knowledge or takes, but they're both <laughs> equally casual. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know the Doughboys are like literally an intersection between those two shows. Mm. Um, they're the two dudes who the premise of the show is that they review fast food. Uh, I think just food chains in general in the U.S. They're extremely popular, but they're on both podcasts a lot and they're very funny. Um, so there's an obsession in this case, food, but there's also a casualness. So I don't know. Maybe check it out. Cool. I wrote it down. I will. Anything that like is connected to those guys, I think I'd be into. 
Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, good uh, inside baseball about podcasts. So I don't know. How do you guys want to? How do you guys want to talk about the rehearsal? We talked about the HBO thing. Well, do you want to? Uh, maybe we could talk about like the premise of the show and what happened, and then we can give our takes on it. Yeah, that's a good. So it's it's like it's a little bit of a of a sleight of hand premise because the the show, the trailer, everything leading up to it, and the first episode frame it as you know every episode we're going to be dealing with another subject, um, and they want they they have some difficulty in their life that they're going to want help rehearsing. Uh, like the first guy, it's to um, come clean about something he's been lying about in his personal life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just immediately pivots to something else. Well, I want to talk about that a, a little bit. Um, and we should say, too, that like if you watch Nathan For You, I feel like there's episodes that sort of uh, emulate this, this type of setup, like just over-the-top... Um, like rehearsal, like production value. I don't know if it's specifically about like rehearsing, but like smokers allowed. It's like smokers allowed. That that feels like similar to this. I feel like there's another episode where he literally like builds something or builds a set. Uh-huh. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? It feels like there is an episode other than smokers allowed in Nathan for you that's like very uh, overlapped with the way that this show is supposedly set up. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's the yeah. one where he um, does the tightrope walking, where he like literally pretends to be somebody else, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. An early example of the fielder method in practice. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good call. I had totally forgotten about that, but you're so right. There's also like a doppelgangers episode where he like employs like a <laughs> bunch of dudes that, that look like him. That's right. That's right. Uh, the little East Asian uh, Nathan Fielder is a great sight gag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He looks like Jet Li or something. He's like <laughs> short and has like spiky black hair. Yeah. I have this thing with my jaw. I kind of just. <laughs> 20 people in a room. <laughs> um, That's right. Yeah. No, there are a lot of early examples. Uh, there's p- plenty of examples of where Nathan is doing stuff that he's done before. And just taking it to an extra level with the rehearsal. Yeah. I I feel like there's there's like a specific episode that I'm with thinking of. With a replica of. set? Maybe not with a set, but I feel like it's maybe in service of him uh, rehearsing something. Um, mm. But yeah, I can't, I can't put my finger on it. I feel like I've watched it recently, too. That's how, that's why I know. But whatever. All you need to know is that like... He's been doing this a while, and it f- it feels not unlike something that he would have done in the the previous show. Yeah, and um, it's, it it really is like taking because his style of comedy is taking um, sort of an absurd premise, but then seeing it through to the extreme. And that's that's was that was Nathan's for you's model, and this is that model taken to the extreme right like this right. is the re- it's not only taken to the extreme but it's like it folds in on itself yeah and it implodes on itself like he takes right. that that concept and then like sees it to the end and then sees it to the rotting end where it's falling apart it doesn't really work anymore raul made the comparison he's like he was looking forward to all three of us talking about it because 
there's a lot of overlap with this in like Synecdoche, New York, um, which is, I think both of our like favorite things that we ever recorded on the podcast, just cause that was such a fruitful like talk. Um, but yeah, I think that we're both excited to talk about it. Um, partially because of all the, uh, relation or things that overlap with like Synecdoche and how yeah. silly it is by the end. Yeah, so do you absolutely. think like, uh, on that note where, uh, we, we discussed like the premise of the show, but like it very quickly, like veers into something else. And like, do you think that is like by design, uh, just like a circumstance of like the show or if it was like the model, uh, or is it like, uh, Nathan just like chasing something like throughout the making of the show. He's like, Oh, we're just, we have all this money. Like we can just do whatever we want. Like all bets are off. I, the show doesn't have to be anything. That's yeah. That's a great question. Um, uh, you know, one that we don't have an answer to cause Nathan is so hush hush about the most personal aspects of the production. Um, you know, all the people that go on the show, I think have to like sign really hardcore NDAs where they basically don't get to divulge the secret sauce of what happens behind the scenes. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, like was Nathan uh, looking out to make what he made or did it just happen organically? And he's like, Oh, I, I can, I have like something really interesting to do with what we've shot that has this core character arc to it. Yeah. I can only again. Yeah, you're right. Raul. We can only speculate. So my my sense of it is he set out knowing that they would move to the house and that they would sort of set up this this sprawling, stupidly complicated, um, you know, swapping out kids and stuff like I think all of that was predetermined because I think the show sets us up almost with a red herring first episode because you think it's going to be episodic and that it's going to be like Nathan for you. Um, and then it quickly is not, it's not that it's quickly goes to, and I think the idea, my theory is that the idea was he would have the house as like this through line and then the episodes would be sort of episodic on the side, like an A plot and a B plot and Uh the B plot would always be the house and the A plot would always be the person of the week. And either that didn't pan out or the house just became so much more interesting and funny that they went with it. But I don't mm-hmm. think they planned the very end, um, with the kid or Nathan blowing up the premise of the show at all. Right. I don't, I'm, I'm curious if they had a plan. I bet I'm sure they did. I, they knew, I'm sure they knew to a certain extent that they were winging it or that they would have to follow whatever yeah. happened, but I don't think they planned for that to happen. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that's dead on. I I wasn't like fully on board with uh, the house being planned, but like you pointing out that they did have like the B plot for like an episode where it was like the house, and then like he was, it was that guy who was who his like girlfriend was being accused yeah. of being a gold digger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that was happening, and then like that whole like side of things was quickly abandoned but like yeah for a moment i thought it was like the 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 show was so violently moving around that it started with 
that red herring episodic sort of setup. And then it was just uh, Nathan's like just like a lack of caring about the structure of the show wholesale just made him be like, we're going to do something completely different. And I feel like that's like he has the power to do that. Right. That like if HBO just gave him like a shitload of money, no strings attached, I could see like that this is all part of his construction. Right. It's like I'm just going to make this show that has uh, no plan whatsoever. And it's just going to be something that follows my energy. But it, I think that you're right. It, some of it does seem maybe a little planned. Yeah. Because a lot of the comedy for me comes from like just having this blase, whimsy attitude as to, you know, where to put tens of thousands of dollars of production money into just like at a, at a, at a, at a drop of a dime. Mm-hmm. And to me, that does like require that they have a setup for what the show is going to be, you know, the house being a big component of it, maybe some other pieces, but then just seeing it through, you know, through the several months of production. But then I wonder how much like in real time, uh, how much of the narrative is forming as like they're shooting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I or, feel or how much of it is, is retroactively worked yeah. out. Right. Um, through VO Ooh. and which is the same question I have about reality TV. Yeah. Because obviously yeah. a lot of the narrative building is done in the post, uh, I would, you know, single cam I would interviews. Argue, yeah. I would argue that like 90% of like the narrative and reality shows is like through post-production. Uh huh. Like mm-hmm. they, you, if you watch reality TV enough and I'm ashamed to admit this, that like 90 day fiance, Justin, uh, you'll see these like, intercut like interviews they'll have like footage and then the aside interviews uh and if you watch those closely that there are times when um the interview is clearly a green screen from oh, a diff- yeah. from a different time that they interviewed them initially they In interviewed fact, the- i've seen i've seen the screen flicker behind people before on right. 90 day fiance right yeah. sometimes it's not a very good green screen no and and so like they will interview a person initially with a real background, real depth of field, whatever. Uh, and then they do what I assume is like a pretty complete, like assembly edit of whatever episode they're working on. And then they literally dress that person in the same clothes, same hairstyle and green screen, the same background from the previous interview to make it seem like certain sound bites, like come right after one another. Hmm. And like, yeah, an, an extreme example of this is there's a 90 Day Fiance, um, I guess you'll call her a character named Angela, um, and she she was a bigger person. And at one point in the show, because she's been on several seasons, she goes through gastric bypass surgery and she loses a bunch of weight. And so there's a talking head that she has where she's talking, uh, she's talking, and then it like cuts away from her, and then it cuts back in the same sentence that she's speaking, uh, seemingly, and she's drastically lost weight. So they've not only edited <laughs> the talking heads basically together with a little cutaway in between, but they've edited her sentence together. So, yeah, in the course of a sentence, she has lost like 200 pounds. Um, it's really jarring, and it's crazy that we just accept. <laughs> We just accept that. <laughs> yeah. It's really like being someone who edits a lot of video, there's always this kind of like moral question as to how much you can manipulate like a person's words. 
because like uh-huh. you can you can summarize things and that's like perfectly fine you can cut out us and ums or unnecessary thoughts but like when you start sort of constructing thoughts that weren't initially theirs then you like get into like a real dangerous territory and clearly based on the example that justin just gave that they like don't care about that at all because that's like a huge uh violation of that person's i don't know uh humanity (laughs) to like uh cut in the middle of their sentence like that to a different Uh time Uh uh-huh so all bets are off with reality TV. Is the whole yeah, thing. totally. And I think it's an interesting comparison, this to reality TV, because once again, and I feel like we will really get into this later, but he turns the, he shows us the premise and then he turns it on itself and he's like, uh, what, what is this premise really? Is it ethical? Does it make sense? Was it worth it? And yeah. so like, you reality TV never does that. Reality TV is a shark. It just has to keep going. Right. And so it's never able to turn itself on itself, you know. So that's it, it's just it's such a fascinating thing to watch. And, and the show does it really well. So, like, I think going back to our earlier points about whether or not they had planned to go where they did. Um, it doesn't matter because they expertly write in the reasons why they're abandoning the premise of the show. Because like mm-hmm. there's, I think it's around the time that the guy with the gold digger girlfriend, he's Nathan's trying to help him. Nathan, if I remember correctly, the the v, VO is just about how his heart isn't in it. He's distracted. The house mm-hmm. is on his mind, and then they sort of abandon the show after that, and it turns into him just getting lost in the premise. And I think that's a really whether or not that was the plan, it's expertly crafted. That's yeah. a specific yeah. question I have of whether they had that idea of like. Nathan as the content creator, the the filmmaker himself, like getting pulled in emotionally to what he's doing. Like the message that the show gives to me is that like Nathan is a lost person and he's trying to, you know, find meaning and human connection the only way he can by producing a television show. Yeah. Which is exactly the premise of Synecdoche. Right. It's and like Nathan precise. for you. And Nathan for you. That's what I was going to say, too. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. That's true. And, 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 uh, and that through line is there, and it's emphasized by all the stuff that must have happened, you know, not planned, like Angela yeah. leaving and the kid having an emotional attachment to him. Yeah. It just, the end product seems so perfect. Oh, uh, I was going to say, I think that the all... Uh, both shows are like a cry for help. I think that the, uh, I sometimes, you know, I'm always trying to sort out the difference between Nathan, the person and the character. Um, Cause he doesn't, I've like never, I think we've talked about this before where we're in Nathan for you. You're constantly watching for like character breaks mm-hmm. cause they just don't happen that often. But like you rarely ever see Nathan in a, a manner that's not unlike him in this show or in Nathan for you or even the, the older stuff. He's always like that guy. So I don't have He's like, he been good... that guy. Yeah. The, the grandson's P I think is the one instance I can think of where he breaks character very openly. You remember yeah. that where the, like he, a smile, like he's like 
confounded yeah. and a smile flashes over his face and he's like, what? <laughs> yeah. There's another That's, instance. Yeah. yeah there's an, these are fun little like things to look for in that show or the, yeah. the character breaks. But the, the other one I can think of is when, uh, the ghost realtor, he brings in that exorcist <laughs> and he performs an exorcism on the, uh, the realty, the, the real estate agent. <laughs> What's her name? Sue? Sue something, Sue Stanford. Yeah. Sue Stanford. <laughs> the ghost realtor. Uh, <laughs> but he performs the, all these, the guy has like an interesting accent too. Uh, mm. What does he say? Do it's it. like South American or something, yeah. Uh, I can't, I can't think of any of his lines right now. Otherwise it would. In the name of the yeah. Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> I love the name Jesus Christ. Hemorrhoids, uh, and then what's it's this, the small penis? This man's uh, <laughs> penis, the demons are making it uh, smaller. <laughs> uh, anyways, there's like a, a part where he like goes really aggressive on the ghost realtor. He like gets in her face and he's like, "Come out, demon! Come out, demon!" And like she's screaming and uh, reacting in a really extreme way. And then she's all sort of, you know, leaned back and defeated at the end. And I think that Nathan's like legitimately concerned about her safety at that yeah. point. Like this is an yeah. older woman. This dude just really got in her face. And I think that it's it's like a liability thing at that point where he's like, are you doing OK? Are you OK? Yeah, yeah, like, do yeah. I need to call somebody? I think that's like that's a real moment. And I'm sure there's I'm sure there's others that we're not thinking. Yeah. of. Yeah. I mean, there was an instance in uh, I want to say it's the um, finding Francis, Francis, finding Francis at whatever that was the last episode where he there's a bit of dialogue where in the subtitles it's different from what the VO is. And it's like the subtitles lay out like his dis dissatisfaction with the show at this point or sort of his dissatisfaction with continuing the show. He doesn't want to do the show anymore. But the VO is saying something completely different. This VO is saying, you know, something about hmm. the Bill Gates Interesting. Guy. Um, did you discover so this he, organically or did you know i think it was okay. some reddit post or something that i saw but okay. why would um, something like that happen because they had uh, that was the original dialogue or it could it could either be the original dialogue or it was like an easter egg i'm guessing the original dialogue because that's such a weird way to drop an easter egg but uh, that's a cool yeah. way to drop an easter egg. You know, I, I thought it was pretty interesting uh, it is very interesting yeah hmm. I did. Yeah. Um, I wanted to make just a comment, just on touching on the subject of reality TV. Um, and Nathan, for you, I, I had like a real breakthrough in the way that I thought about Nathan for you, like recently. In that, Nathan for you is essentially a reality TV show. Yeah. All the real people that he's talking to, they understand themselves as essentially being either like on regular television or reality TV. Mm -hmm. And that that by and large explains a lot of the weird stuff that happens on the show. Like the guy that the security card guy, that's really into big breasts. Mm -hmm. You know, I would first watch that and I would just be completely enraptured by it. I'm like, what an unbelievable guy. He's so wacky. He loves large breasts so much that he yeah. you know, freezes up and can't do his job. Whereas now, like, I understand that, like, you know, I'm sure that guy loves large breasts, but I, I'm sure that Nathan completely, like, made up that character, caricature yeah. for him. Yeah. 
and he's like you know coaches him in the scenes be like okay remember your guy really loves large breasts and you can you get incapacitated when you're near them he's like okay mm-hmm. i'm yeah. down because i'm an, am down for this show yeah everybody knows they're on tv yeah uh, and i used to think about this a little differently too where you see all these wacky characters that nathan comes across in the show and you're like god there's like he just finds like the craziest people like how does he do it but like part of it is that it's like everybody knows that they're on tv and everybody has like a tv face and voice or they're coached or both uh and it's in la that's like that's sort of the key factor for me is it like Mm -hmm. being on a reality show is probably nothing unusual like in la and like yeah they probably don't even have a sense of like how big that show is i'm sure that like different smaller shows roll through every neighborhood all the time there so i don't think that everybody's just like happy to be on on tv and they'll play up like whatever they whatever they need to because that's just that's just what you do in la Mm -hmm. yeah there's like a certain amount of reality tv literacy among people now and like i i get i got this impression after watching some newer reality tv shows where they like bring in um like young people just like regular young people but young people who are very social media savvy very um kind of like extroverted in that way and they all just know how to play the game they know how to do it they know to have mm-hmm. like they're not fake stuff like the one i saw recently was a rally tv show on netflix that took place in san antonio or sorry austin it was just a bunch of young people they move into a house in austin and then just you know whatever proceeds from that and mm-hmm. it's as close to like a real person as i've seen which is to say that like the production value of it was like fairly low it seemed fairly organic but people just kind of know how to act in that context, in, in, in that way. It's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. It, it is cult, it's cultural to a certain degree because um, a good example to the contrary is my wife and I just, and yeah, Trevor, I, I feel ashamed even talking about this because it's so just disgusting. But my wife and I watch a lot of 90 Day Fiance and all the various spinoffs therein, thereof. And they have a new one, and it's called 90 Day Fiancé UK, which is oh, yeah. funny because I think that that itself is a misnomer because I don't think the 90 Day Fiancé, like the K-1 visa, I don't know if that applies in the right. UK. Uh, but <laughs> the whole anyway, premise of the show is like based on a U.S. law. <laughs> yeah, totally. But but it's it's the same thing, right? It's just people with foreign partners who are sort of sure. trying to make it work. And it's so fascinating watching it's a uk production obviously there's nothing at all like the us all the us shows and it's sort of like if you've watched um if you've watched any of the bake-off the great british bake-off it's similar uh vibe and so i think it's Hmm. a uk vibe but it's like quiet there's no bombastic music um Mm -hmm. when people have their like hero shots right so whenever you go you cut to their segment of the show you always get like a shot of them and their partner and it says like sarah and michael age 30 Mm -hmm. and those are always like in the american shows it's always like it sounds like a car commercial it's like hey yo run around now and like they're like doing this and on the uk 
it's just like quiet and they smile at the camera and then it proceeds with the segment. It's it's so different. Um, That's great. That's a yeah. perfect summation of like British versus American television in general. It's totally. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, and I'm sure there's still so much like artifice and ed- editing, you know, but um, it doesn't feel like there is. And I think the U.S. is uniquely a, a reality TV show like culture. Um, mm-hmm. And we're just we buy it and we're cool with it. I mean, we invented it, right? We invented reality. Yeah, TV. although like Big Brother is a huge deal. And I think that's totally UK. Oh, OK. Um, but yeah. I do think that, yeah, the US has. As far as reality TV goes, it's it's the hegemony. Yeah. So, so all of that, but for the rehearsal as well, you know. <laughs> what were we talking about before the reality TV blip just now um, yeah talking about character breaks character um, breaks i do think that there is just since we're talking about it uh i do think that i spotted at least one character break in the rehearsal i'm sure there's more but i i like this one in particular i shared that screenshot with you raul do you remember that uh-huh um i want to get justin's take on this real quick i'm gonna I show pulled it up I'm going to share the screen. So you see that? Uh huh. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is from like one of the later episodes where, uh, he's like, the kid is starting to freak out. That's the last episode, right? It might be. Um, is that, is there only one episode where like the kid has the father, Problem. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was going to say was I think the last episode is where I would consider like an entire character break. Um, OK, yeah. But yeah, that's what that's from. OK, so, yeah, this is like one of the first scenes from that episode where the kid's starting to freak out. Um, and it seems like I think we can go ahead and say that the way that that whole situation was treated was not planned and like seemed largely reactionary to this very potentially real problem with this this kid uh and so it damage control it feels like damage control and in this particular scene like nathan like glances up at the camera really quickly he's trying to like talk to the kid make sure the kid is okay but he like kind of just like looks up like uh-huh. really, really briefly at the camera, it's sort of like checking out like the camera crew in a way that feels very genuine, and that I've right. never seen in like any of his other like character breaks where he's like literally kind of like scoping out the physical situation. Uh-huh. Like, should we be filming this? That's like uh, that's sort of my read on this. Maybe I'm reaching a little bit, but like I don't think I've ever noticed anything like that in this show no that's totally else. not in character quote like mm-hmm. you know quotes in character for him hmm. question is did he put this here for us purpose i don't think so i don't think so i think that like in this scene particularly it's like a they're just getting footage of like the kid the kid's sort of meltdown and like this is just one little glance that like Uh made its way into the edit. But I don't think that, I think that if he noticed something like that, he wouldn't include it in the edit, that particular shot. 
Yeah, although I will say, oh, and I just said this, but I do think this episode is entirely, uh, well, like 90% out of character. Um, and I think the premise, the whole premise of the episode is about the fact that he's dropping character. So I think whether or not that made it into the edit, like whether or not it was intentional that that made mm -hmm. it into the edit, I think is almost a moot point. Because, sure. and you're, I think it's a really smart observation because you're right, that never would have made it into the rest of the show or Nathan for you. It's just not Nathan. But um, the fact that it is in this episode, I think it's the episode that it makes sense that it's in because it's the episode where everything's dropped. That does make sense. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and him not being in character for that whole episode is probably right on. I mean, aside from the parts where he's like brings in the other younger actor to yeah, play that's, the second that's version. That's what made me rethink my statement. It's like 80 to 90% out of character. Right. Uh, cause, and, and the episode still has like jokes. There are still funny moments. Even yeah. in the... I'm thinking specifically of when he's in the mom's house, the kids I know exactly the what mom's you're house, say. and he's staring you get that at, jacket? he's staring at something on the counter, the battery and, and it's the like fact a, that it's, it's like a battery or something. I don't it's know. Like a nine, it's, it's like a nine volt battery nine sitting volt on top battery. of the backsplash. <laughs> so yeah. perfect. Yes. On yeah. the backsplash. <laughs> uh, and, uh, it's just, you know, so the, the, the episode isn't devoid of laughs. But it also yeah. is like, okay, we're just going to, we're, we're going to rethink or maybe re-examine the whole premise of the show and we're going to ask ourselves, um, was this like an ethical, correct thing to do? Uh -huh. And um, should, uh, I don't know, like, w was I right for doing it? Um, I, I don't know what conclusion he reaches with that answer, but I do know that like the very last moment of the show seems to indicate that he feels like he feels like he's overcome whatever transgressions he's made that moment that he has with the kid. Like, I think he feels like okay about everything. So yeah, maybe he's back in character or maybe not. I mean, either way it's in his best interest to feel okay about it. Right. Sure. There's he, a second season coming. He made the show. And so yeah. Yeah. he better feel good about it. Right. Yeah, but that uh, final scene, like, it was tough for me because the whole time I'm watching it, I'm trying to discern is this a real reaction from Nathan or is it not? And basically, whenever he's engaging with, like, an actor or is playing someone else, I'm inclined to just say that, oh, he's, you know, he's, he's playing, he's acting, he's doing funny stuff, he's being a funny guy. Yeah. But the last but, scene is not funny at all. None of the dialogue with the kid, even though he's pretending mm -hmm. to be another person. And then he, like, presumably forgets that he's trying to play somebody else and is just playing himself and being sincere. But then I don't know. I don't know if I even believe that. I don't, so, I don't. Yeah. I don't think I believe that, but right? I do think that like, there's something to be said about, you know, getting into character in a real like emotional way. So uh -huh. like in the smokers allowed episode, when he does that whole dumb exercise with the woman with the pink hair and he's like, I love you. He's like, again, I love you. And they do that for like a, a few minutes, maybe like a long time. And by the end, like Nathan's like, 
kind of like crying or something. He's like emotionally evolved, but I think that he's still very much like in character, uh, but like isn't uh, isn't immune from like getting emotionally involved like in a scene like that. And so I think that like uh, the whole scene with the kid, it seems like it's sort of this real sort of like oh like I'm. I made a a misstep in my dialogue and like it means something real about like this experiment thing I was trying to do um but like that's not mutually exclusive from him like literally being in character the whole time that's my take yeah. on it, at least. I think that I, you can have both, where it's like the he's in character, um, but he is like legitimately like emotionally affected by that situation. Yeah. Yeah, I do think um, so. Like Nathan, for you, it slowly unspooled this narrative, right? Like by the end of the show, if you'd watched all of it, you knew that Nathan, or at least the character he is in Nathan, for you is a guy who knows he's funny. He knows he's in a comedy show and yet he's like seeking a personal connection. He's lonely. He doesn't feel like he has a place in the world or that he can connect with people. Um, and so there, you, you know that even though it's all for comedy, there might be truth to that. Um, <clears throat> and I feel like the same thing is true of the rehearsal where for up until that very last episode, like even though it's basically the same character, right? Even though he's like talking about how he can't make connections and, and you know, and it, you know, it's all for comedy. And yet you also know that there might be truth to that, mm -hmm. right? He might actually yeah. be a lonely guy who can't find connections with people. You don't, you know, he's so guarded that you have no idea if that's how he actually is in real life, but it might be. Um, mm -hmm. So like, I think it can be both for show and also true and also funny you know totally he's definitely right. like let down his guard in this show compared to nathan for you same basic character but this one is much more believable as a sincere human being than the yeah. nathan for you character like i could have believed that the real nathan and nathan for you was nothing like his character this uh -huh. version of nathan is much closer to a real person like emphasized by like him in the first episode admitting that he had a uh, uh, his ex it was, it was ex wife or ex girlfriend but just like admitting to that relationship mm -hmm. oh right dissipating stuff like that bringing in the parents them them also briefly talking about his last relationship very real stuff yeah i also feel like in this uh in this show that i got a much better sense of like nathan as a showrunner whether that was like through like the lens that he lit literally wanted me to see it through where it's like him in the the barn or whatever looking at the monitors in the house or like the um like the scenes that you see when he's doing the Nathan or the fielder method on himself when he like meets the like I assume the casting director for the first time. And she's like, Hey, it's great to meet you. Like, we're going to introduce you to the director. Like, this is a really cool project. I feel like that's exactly how those people were legitimately briefed before they went into the, the yeah. barn. Uh, 
but it's like I hadn't ever seen Nathan with, uh, I don't know, kind of power. Like it, it looks like he has like real power, like on on set in a way that I just, I just, I assume I always knew that with Nathan for you, but just there seems to be like evidence of it in the show that I haven't really seen before, which I thought was cool. Yeah, for um, sure. I think uh, I think this this show really is like Nathan unfettered. And not just from like a monetary Unfielded. standpoint. Unfielded. Yeah. Like not just from like a money standpoint where like clearly he was just given insane amounts of money to make this shit. But just like, again, like it's everything taken to the extreme. And even though Nathan for you, what that was the whole concept. This is like this is like what he probably dreams of doing. Right. In terms of making a comedy show is something like this. And that's why I wonder if the show is him like the way the show plays out. I wonder if it's him like being able to um, realize his dreams and make this show that he's always wanted. And then realizing that like, well, fuck, there are still like insane problems with me doing this or maybe, or like I'm not able to realize this ethically or without mm-hmm. there being like huge ramifications for other people, you know, yeah. um, which is also fascinating. Cause I, cause I think at first I thought like, well, maybe this show is him doing penance for Nathan for you because like Nathan uh-huh. for you he was taking advantage of people in vulnerable positions and blah 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 and this show is still mm. that right it's like kids and stage parents and all those people who are just desperate yeah and weird weirdos you get you get a real like uh window into that when they go to like the mom's house like the mom mm. of the the child actor at the end where it's like clearly sort of a low-income situation single parent uh, so that just like, I, f- I feel like you can't not be affected by if you see this kid have a meltdown and you realize, uh, that he doesn't have a, a parent in the picture. And then you go to their house and you realize like these people aren't doing super well, like, and I'm just using this for TV. Like you can't not just like totally change your game plan unless you're truly like heartless about it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And, and I was prepared for I was prepared for it to be like an indictment of her or to show her in a bad light. But it never really does. Um, you never get the sense that she's like an unfeeling stage parent who's just seeking like yeah. money and fame for her kid and for herself. Because she does genuinely seem regretful that, she, that yeah. they took the job and that she wants to like make it right. Um, yeah, you can. Which is interesting. There's things that she said where um, she's like, I don't think anybody did anything wrong. Um, I'm just like worried about him. And then Mm -hmm. like what I thought was interesting is he Nathan asks her, like, do you think he understands acting? And she's like, I don't know. And I'm like, I mean, I'm no parent, but it it seems like that should be something you have like a grasp on before you. put your kid in a situation like this but yeah the it it doesn't fixate on that i and for like that bite alone i think i was also prepared for it to be like look at this fucking person um yeah i don't know like there's clearly like there's something going on there where it's like maybe not everything is like super well thought out on in either party's camp but uh yeah the show definitely didn't like point fingers at anybody Right. 
and I mean the show the show's premise is built on uh, having like a stable of what 10 to 15 child actors being swapped out regularly like it's not like it's mm-hmm. totally blameless when it comes to putting kids through entirely bizarre and unnatural situations so you're right like uh, I don't think the mom necessarily understood what she was getting into and I don't think Nathan understood what he was getting into and I think that's part of what that finale is about is him coming to grips with that yeah what do you guys think of the like the 16 year old like uh not the not the one on drugs but the one that like dressed up like the little kid and like did the whole like daddy thing yeah that was fantastic that, that sequence that you was like through a sequence of like nathan yeah. devolving like yeah. mentally and that, that was like yeah the low point he's like yeah. taking a drag of a cigarette outside <laughs> that's the <laughs> <a> funniest shot <laughs> i think it's a and vape the, pen actually which, and that's what's great too is when the show like finds the moments of reality with the characters like mm-hmm. uh, there's another moment where um, it's I think it's in the second to last episode, maybe when he has the teenage son and the, they do the slide transition where he right. like goes into the slide. The little kid comes out and then it shows from behind the older kid coming out of the slide right. and then like looking around like, are we done? Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, like, he's like, what do we do next? What's going on? Yeah, I, I, I yeah, I think they employed those sparingly, but really well. I will say that the the teenage actor that like was the one that uh, OD'd on drugs, um, that guy was great for uh, all of the young actors. Like he really committed to like the darker uh, branch of that story in a way that was pretty believable. (laughs) Totally. And the kid who the younger kid who had glasses, uh, I, I guess who's in the final scene that kid the the one that's like a replacement for the yes the the blonde kid yeah he's like a great actor that kid like he had multiple like crying scenes and like really heartfelt moments with nathan and just great i'm i'm always and and i think this this is part of what the show's messages is like we really should not be doing this because kids are not equipped for it but i also know that some kids are just like preternaturally good at that shit and it's always yeah, it's like a freak show, but it's also always super impressive when you yeah. do see like, you know, uh, Haley Joel Osment or a Dakota Fanning or some some, you know, the kid from E.T. who's just like immaculate actors when they're kids. It's, yeah. it's really crazy to watch. Yeah, I imagine there's some sort of overlap here with like. Uh, remember, we've talked about like kids as um, sociopaths before. And how to, like, encourage, like, sociopathic behavior in a kid. Do you know what I'm talking about? Rings a bell. It's like the Soprano thing. It's like you... uh, Oh, sure. You uh, present a person with therapy, uh, like, introspective therapy, and that, like, enables them to be more uh, sociopathic and believable at the, the thing that they're playing in real life. So... Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's maybe some overlap here. I don't know. Um... Oh, I wanted to ask you guys what you thought of the scene where that teenage kid that we were just talking about, where he literally like ODs on drugs, like in front of what's her name? Angela, Angela. where he like he brings her and he's like, hey, like something's going on. And uh, he's like, oh, my God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. I don't 
and he's like yeah. crying. Yeah. What do you guys think of that? Uh, like best, yeah, best scene of the whole show, I think. Yeah. Also, not surprising why Angela would leave based on, you know, what her understanding of what the whole premise was to begin with. And then Man, where I, it ended up. Like, there's, it's not surprising at all to me that she would decide it's not worth it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't, I'm sure this is by design, but man, I cannot, I can't stand that character. I cannot stand Angela. Part of that's my own bias, too. But insufferable for uh-huh. me. Not even a character. Yeah. It's just, that's just her. Right. Seemingly. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, to a certain extent, they knew, they when they picked her, they knew what they were getting into. They must have done some screening that would indicate that she would sort of have sure. these really wacko sensibilities and uh-huh. ideologies, but... I think they but selected it, her for her, like, fundamentalist Christian yeah. faith. I, I think she, that was selected. Yeah, but it's like, I I agree with all that. It just, like, does it to such an effective degree that I'm just annoyed by it. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't even be entertained by how wacko she is and just sort yeah. of pissed off. She's the perfect confluence of so many things, because it's, like, <laughs> reformed, like, party kid. So she mm-hmm. has that sort of mentality. Obviously, yeah, super fundy, but like in the really like esoteric ways where she's talking about like demons and shit. Mm -hmm. Um, Also like Etsy or maybe aspiring Etsy store owner with like a a Jan Levinson Gould type thing with the candles, like all that shit. Like it's very (laughs) funny. It's very funny. But also Mm -hmm. like what a what a perfect you know, choice on the show's part to run with someone like that. Yeah. One of the most intense moments of the, like Angela moments actually happened pretty early on when Nathan made the decision to step in as the father figure. And Angela Mm -hmm. was like, she's not very confrontational. So she just had like a line with Nathan where she's like, well, you know, I think that it's very important to have communication you know, I, I just mm-hmm. think that, you know, and, and that was her like as harshly as she could just slamming yeah. Nathan for, you know, g- continuing to flip the script on her and she doesn't appreciate it at all. And so like, yeah. even from that beginning, yeah. from that moment on, I was like, Angela's a flight risk. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Understandably so. I yeah. mean, you can't yeah. blame anyone as crazy as they are. You can't blame anyone for wanting to abandon that insane ship. Mm-hmm. Especially someone who is selected in the way that she was. Like, right. if I was on the show, I'd be like, all, all right, this is like part of the Nathan Fielder show. I'm like ready for anything. Yeah. But like anyone who's like not uh, familiar with him or care, like, yeah, it's going to be a reasonable response to want to yeah. get out. And I, and I think it. her understanding of the show was that it was really supposed to be about her. Yeah. And, and you know, but but that's not what it was that's not what Nathan meant for it. I don't think even from the beginning, no, No. he's going to milk this for comedy. That is a constant question I have watching him is like how, cause you know, there are people involved with the show who know who he is and know what he's doing. And I wonder Mm -hmm. how, like you think like the acting class, just statistically speaking, I know he's not like a household name, but surely like what, uh, a fifth, to a quarter of those people know who he is. Totally. Like, I always think, like, what 
what are their what's their involvement like what do they think of all this like do they just give into it or does the show weed them out like edit people out who clearly are in on the joke i don't know it's it's an interesting question yeah i imagine that yeah in the acting class that there are legit people in there and i think that like if you're smart if you're a fan you know to like not make a fuss if you like want to be in the show you know just let it happen and then the people who are featured, like the the Froyo guy who he like fixates on, that uh-huh. guy probably has no idea who he is, right? The, like they select for the people who don't know and they exaggerate them. But I'm sure that there are in those little clips that we get of people like at the at the butcher shop or whatever. I'm sure one of those people like know what's yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. The first guy from the from the first episode, the main guy said that he didn't know nathan's show where he has that joke it's like oh i thought you know you were like a pop culture you know trivia guy he's like well Mm -hmm. you know limits i'll make you guys i make you guys feel a little bit better in that you guys not noticing the practice actor at the end uh that apparently i was the only person who noticed uh i think it was subtle but like, I think people it was just so, yeah, so subtle. Yeah. It like uh, our roommate Erica didn't notice. Grace didn't notice. Oh wow! And so I was the only one. And so I'm sorry if I ever made you feel bad about it. The original guy. It's just like one shot. It's like one yeah. shot where, and it's seamlessly edited. Right. Yeah. I, I I do feel like it holds on him for like a moment that like is supposed to indicate like. Hey, we're at the other right. guy now. It's a like, different guy. Yeah. Isn't this funny? Uh, but yeah, it's still subtle despite that. So, yeah, that guy. I yeah, that I think today. I mentioned this, but that guy is like a real like I've seen him in shit. Like the practice uh, actor. Yeah, like uh, high maintenance. Um, he was in the Lemony Snicket Netflix show. He was okay. he's just been in, he's like a character actor. He's been in stuff. So that was weird to see. That huh. was the first time I've seen like him and Trisha Paytas, I guess, are like the two people I've seen who like are from the real world in terms of like acting uh, crossover mm. into Nathan universe. But um, uh, I, I guess that leads into my question I had for you guys, which is like what part of you wishes he just the show was just the first episode, every episode? Um. Maybe like 15% of me feels that way. Yeah. I think I uh, wanted I think I wanted a little more. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm happy with what we got. But if we had gotten like maybe another episode that was just solely devoted to the premise, I would yeah. have been like that much more satisfied. It's the it's the Nathan for you itch that right that you want. Yeah, right. Because uh, he does it well. Yeah, right. I want that too. I realize that this show is not that, so I don't. By design, think, it's like right. It's not. It's not that, and and also the show is about why it's not that. Right. But right. it was so funny. Yeah, it's it's undeniably funny, and I definitely wanted a little bit more. Even like this, the second one that they did with the the gold digger girlfriend, like mm-hmm. hilarious. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's I I wanted more, but it's okay. It's okay yeah. that I didn't get it. I would have been happy with eight episodes of eight stories. Right. Rehearsal style. But what we got was also really, really cool. 
Yeah, I do think one of my hardest laughs in the whole series, the whole season was uh, in that first episode when he is um, he's feeding the answers to him like secretly, like he's slumdog millionaireing <laughs> the guy. Yeah. And so like the way they weave that into their interactions throughout the day is just. Yeah, it was so sublimely funny. Yeah. That's like that's big Nathan for you energy. Yeah, like absolutely. That, that whole sequence. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty tall building. Not the tallest building in the world, though. That'll be the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. <laughs> the construction worker. That's probably the most blatant one out of all of them. Yeah. That or, that or, or the like cop. the cop. The cop yeah. at the murder scene. Yeah. yeah. It stays like these that I curse the Chinese for inventing gunpowder. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Do you wonder, do you think that guy like found out that he cheated at uh, trivia because of the show? Or do you think they told him? Mm. I, I feel like he found out because of the show. I feel like they did not. Tell you him, saw it like it, like everybody else did. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> That'd be great. Because like the whole like the ending of that show, you know, of, of Nathan filling in the replacement actor to confess to, that's basically like him chickening out. Yeah. This confession where the whole episode was about this guy, you know, being brave and telling something about himself. He didn't want to. Mm-hmm. And then Nathan not being able to do that. Yeah. It's a, if you put it in like the, the bullet points of like what the whole show is supposed to be. It's a nice little like, uh, example of him not being able to do the thing that he's trying to do. And by the end, he's, he's able to realize that about himself. So it like kind of, it sets him up as like a flawed person. Right. First episode. Yeah. I do think, uh, so, um, and I know part of this is the show and the producers and Nathan knowing that they're finding these freaks or these weirdos who are going to be good television. But I do think he is uniquely talented at finding people who take the show. Oh, and this leads me into another break moment, I think, character break moment. Uh, uniquely talented at finding people who like take the show in directions that even he wasn't anticipating. Hmm. Uh, so, for example, Nathan, for you, the... T- the two brothers from Ohio who um, oh, right. have sex uh, with women in the same room together. It's the same uh, woman sometimes, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think it's yeah. the same woman sometimes. It's like it's like three inches from incest. Right. Um, I do think he exhibits like a what the fuck um, <laughs> reaction in that scene yeah. too. But but so like I think those guys are a good example, and I think the um, the scion guy is a great example of that in this show. The guy who crashed his Scion going a hundred miles per hour. Um, oh, right. The, <laughs> the, the numerology would be, guy? the would be boyfriend. Yeah. Of Angela. Yeah. So like everything about from beginning to end, the interaction with that guy from the Scion story that keeps repeating to the numerology to the like crypto Christian, uh, or maybe like, uh, pseudo christian beliefs and then like yeah the, inner, the roommate like all of that i think it's just like nathan has a way of finding these jackpots you know 
Um, yes. And that's a perfect example of that. Is that that guy? Yes, I think that, I think that you're spot on because that guy is like a little bit more than a, a freak. Uh, yeah, he's like a an intelligent guy, I guess. Sure. Of yeah, some totally. <laughs> who, who he? Yes, he's a he's a fully functioning, not like not like a weirdo or a creep or um, someone who you you know will put you off. Nevertheless, mm-hmm. he has these completely singular, like this singular worldview, um, mm-hmm. and these per, like personality quirks that you've just never like. You know, people are out there who think that way, but you don't really interact with them. Mm-hmm. He's like that. Yeah, that's that whole scene with like the roommate when it turned into like sort of a domestic situation at the end. Uh, it feels like the care, like the camera broke character in that, like you see them like inside their apartment or house or whatever. And they're like, things are starting to heat up. And then it cuts to the camera is like outside, like outside the house, like looking through the window because it's like turned into such a scary situation that like the camera crew is like not comfortable being in there anymore. <laughs> right. Right. My brother, um, my brother texted, so he texted me this exchange, and it's just so funny. So he said, I can't stop thinking about that scene in the rehearsal with Robin and his roommate. And then this was the dialogue. What are you stepping to? Squash it. Bro, what are you stepping to? Squash it. <laughs> Who talks like that? <laughs> exactly. Squash exactly. It? Squash it. What's he telling him to do to just let's chill? Yeah, I think it's like squash whatever this is, but like mm-hmm. just the dialogue. Right. What are you stepping to? Squash it. What are you stepping to? Squash it. Yeah. It's great. Uh, Scion guy seems like he's very difficult to be around. Oh, yeah. yeah. Totally ins- insufferable, like to the extreme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot but of people s- like that. He seemed to me a very real character type, very oh, yeah. contemporary type of guy. Yeah. Perfect ending for that dude too. We're just bitched out at the eleventh hour and <laughs> left. <laughs> You're so right. That is the perfect. He's like, I gotta sleep. <laughs> I've got to get a good night's sleep. <laughs> I just can't not have a and, good and night's sleep. Him packing shit off. from his room, like a fuck ton of toiletries, bongs, <laughs> like sex stuff. He's like, yeah, you know, you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> It's just so unlikable. So another example of this is in the um, Fielder Method episode uh, when Nathan goes to live in the guy's apartment and he opens the his bedroom door. And I think it's just like a whole bunch of like stuffed animals, like poke, like Pokemon. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Like big, like squishy Pikachus and stuff. It's like Mm -hmm. little moments like that where. um it totally changes everything you think about that guy, right? Like, or, or it adds right. a new dimension to them. Right. Yeah. I was a little weirded out by that guy in the first place. I want to go on record and saying that. Didn't take the Pikachus to convince me. <laughs> <laughs> you mean, was it, was it his inability to, like, jibe with the Nathan thing? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. Where he was so, like, skittish about the whole thing, you know? Well, what's, My, fu- what's uh, funny about that is, like, that's not that's not an unusual thing to be skittish about 
whatever Nathan Fielder is throwing at you. But the show does a really good job of like turning him into like an antagonist, for, like the, <laughs> the bad guy of the situation. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's pretty well done in that regard. Uh-huh. But only yeah. to then like when Nathan gets into that guy's skin and starts to have like that internal dialogue about like what's going on like why would they be filming this if this is just a practice for a show what Mm -hmm. is this you know and and just like starting to say things from the perspective of that actor things that i'm always thinking to myself in my head when i'm watching nathan's show i'm like how do people understand themselves right around yeah right that was a turn that i thought was just so masterful yeah and that made that my favorite episode of the whole series yeah good take yeah and i i i could see a reading where like you see the whole show as like a cya for nathan's thing right like it's nathan knowing that what he does is to a certain degree exploitive it's like offensive to people or it turns people off and him sort of like getting around that by pretending to examine it Mm-hmm. But I really don't. I really do think. I do. I do think he was conscious of the problematic nature of his approach to comedy, and he wanted to make a show about that. Yeah. Whether or not he he intended to take it to the end that it does, I don't know. But like, I do think that's what the show set out to be, and I do think that's what it accomplished. Yeah, I yeah. I tend I tend to agree. I will maintain though that I think that whether or whether or not he like intended to do it or succeeded in doing it, it's still like in his best interest as like a working celebrity to like put his best foot forward and be like, I'm examining this thing that I'm doing, you know? Yeah. Even if he's examining it, he can't turn it off. What's that? Even while examining it, he can't turn it off. Right. Nor would he want to. Yeah. And it's, it's just like, yeah, if I was in Nathan's position, like, that's why I called that last episode, like, damage control, where it's just like, shit, dude, like, I still got to fucking, like, work with HBO next season. So, like, I better button this thing up in a way that's, like, not going to get me in trouble. And not not even necessarily not get him in trouble, but, like, be able to not make him, like, a controversial figure going forward. You know, there's just like there's some real kind of basic like self preservation reasons that you would want to do this. And I'm not so shallow to think that that is the only reason that he's doing this or ended the show that way. I just I think it's worth acknowledging that, like, there's probably some selfish motivations here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's totally unknowable, but I, I do agree and I don't think it's I, I I don't even know if that's like a bad thing or it's cynical or what, because no. I think everybody thinks that about anything they do. And you I think you have to if you're a celebrity who makes comedy involving real people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the show is like healthy in that regard. Um, and the fact that it's still funny and surprising is probably a testament to his talent and the uh, the uh, viability of the premise moving forward. Like, I think mm-hmm. whatever the second season ends up being, 
it will undoubtedly be interesting and thought provoking. And it's because he's already like sort of explored the depths of the premise and now he can kind of take it wherever he wants. I hope so. Anyway, that's my I mean, that's my hope and my read on it. Hmm. I'm surprised that there's going to be a season two. It seemed like it would work so well as just a singular season of television. Like I thought it wrapped the boat pretty well on itself. Yeah. And right. also that it was such a surprising season. Like surprisement is is something I felt throughout. Surprisement is something <laughs> that I feel often as well. Yeah. I like eating surprisements. I think they're nice and refreshing. <laughs> Um, but I don't know how he'll be able to achieve that in another season. You know, I mean, I mean, I really am just curious what that's going to look like. This kind of ties into what we were talking about at the beginning, where it's like how much of this was constructed and planned that I feel like a show like this, if it's true, if it truly was just like following like the path of least resistance that like the next season will just be another iteration of that, you know? Maybe it starts with like a similar presence. I don't know. Maybe there's real information about it. I don't know. Um, you guys can tell me. There but like, isn't. Could, but like, it could just be like a totally different premise that like something that Nathan for you loosely set up like years ago. You take that, you start with that as episode one, and then just it devolves in the same fashion as this one did. Like that's like that seems like it could be a format of the show more than just like the rehearsal function of it. Like maybe right. the show continues to be called the rehearsal because that was its original name, but like I could see it becoming anything. Yeah. Do you guys ever watch um, Search Party? You know what that show is? Sorry, I'm gonna take five and go to the bathroom. But no, I haven't. Okay. So. Okay. No, I've never seen it. Did you ever watch that rule? Um, so I guess, would you mind if I spoiled a whole series for you? Sure. I won't if you would like, not like me to. No, go for it. Okay. Because this ties into what Trevor was just saying. So Search Party um, is about a group of like young people. They're like young millennials um, in New York and... They um, have a friend or like an acquaintance who's seemingly like kidnapped. And so the first season is them searching for her. And they're sort of like in detective ways, determining where she is and where, you know, uh, who she could be with. And they at the very end of the season, they find her. And it turns out that she actually went willingly and that they were it was all for naught. It wasn't a crime. She ran away. Uh Um, but that season, because things got so extreme with them, like locating the person who seemingly took her and stuff, um, it ends up with them like killing him accidentally, but it ends with a murder. The Uh whole group basically implicated in this murder and the next three seasons, um, are the like ramifications of that murder. And so there's like a trial and everything. But like the show kind of ran its course in the first season premise wise, like narratively. And so even though the next couple seasons uh, is the show dealing with the first season, it really doesn't know where to go. And so instead, um, by the end of the series, which is the fourth season, um, the the group of people have um, accidentally started a zombie apocalypse. Uh And so and it's it's kind of funny and it's 
it's well executed. And so I think there's room for shows like what Trevor was just describing, where like the premise of the show is that you can't contain the premise. Yeah. yeah. And so it, it just keeps um, uh, fucking itself up in like creative and surprising ways. So I do think that would be funny is like it's still called the rehearsal. Um, it still has a sem- like Nathan's in it. There is still like the format of the show is that Nathan's, you know, he has voiceover and he's dealing with real people, but like it's progressively like out of control. That's the premise. Uh, you know, it's got yeah. Nathan in there, voiceover is real people. You know, It's very, I mean, I think that's funny. I, mm-hmm. the, the most funny aspect is that it's still called the rehearsal and that it has yeah, nothing yeah, yeah. to do with like a rehearsal. Yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. a like solid Three joke. seasons down the line, they're like, people don't understand the show yeah. anymore. Right, totally. <laughs> so I, I'm sure that, that's just, that probably won't happen, but I do think it's a solid direction. And the show will go on for like 50 seasons uh, <laughs> to like see the the collapse of civilization, where then the show is the only refuge of the people who have survived that collapse. Yeah. yeah. Can we get inside? It's really bad out here. <laughs> I do. Speaking of 50 seasons, speaking of 50 seasons, uh, I did see that there's a new season of documentary now coming. Um, yeah, I heard about I'm, that. I'm excited yeah. for Without direct involvement, I think of one of the two, either Fred or. Do you guys hater? I wouldn't be surprised if it's if haters out just because yeah. he's doing all his shit. But who knows? Oh man, we should do a whole separate episode on Barry. The yeah last season. Justin, did you partake? I did partake. Yeah. I yeah, loved it. I really enjoyed it, and I think that's a show that really understands the finite nature of its premise i was gonna talk i was gonna bring this up in in relation to that yeah what do you think about how does it handle its premise i think it handles it well and i think the fact that the season ended the way it did and that i think there's only one more season like he seems to be whether or not that was the original plan he seems to be conscious of the fact that like yep we got to make a good show but we also have to make like a finite show that has something to say um, uh, and I think he does it well. I would say that mm-hmm. they neither push the premise or are constrained by it. It doesn't fall into like either of those pitfalls of where like, okay guys, season three, where are we going to go from here? Things are going to get crazy. It's not like that at all. Right. But it's mm-hmm. also not like each season is not just a rehash of, you know, Hitman actor. It's mm-hmm. I like, I think it does it really well. Yeah, I think you're that's a really interesting analysis. I think you're so right. Like maybe like that's the sign of like a perfectly executed multi-season narrative is like Mm -hmm. when you don't feel pressure from either side, when you just feel like it's playing out as it should be and that, you know, the show is coming to a natural conclusion. You don't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think it does. It threads that line really well. Yeah. To, to such an extent, like, this is a metric that I always put to stuff I watch. It's like, can I reasonably believe that some character will die in this episode? And Barry is a show where I was never quite sure. Like, I thought maybe we were looking at the end of Barry sincerely. Um, mm-hmm. and, so all, and so all of those reveals, like the poisoning at the end and him surviving all that. Yeah. Every mm-hmm. instance of where, like, something seems like it's going to go badly. I feel like... Uh, at least from my own sake, the the reason that I'm constantly like um, 
bamboozled by what is going to happen is how with how much leniency the the show switches from like funny to serious and like uh-huh. in within the same moment within the same like sentence like something will turn very serious and then like it'll be a bill hater comedy the next uh so yeah it's it's like that like set of rules which is really unclear to me that like anybody yeah. could anybody could bite it or like it could be a totally safe pg episode or scene yeah uh, yeah i've never quite got a good handle on it in a way that i really like it feels kind of like real life you know it does <laughs> yeah there's a show this this feels like it's it's uh not a tangent um there's a show that I think is the only show in the history of television that's like gotten. I think it's unique in that it's gotten the finale perfect in a way that's totally unique. And it's the show called Review, which I don't know if either of you have seen. Um, it's a, it's like a cult hit. It's it was it has a reasonably popular like following on the Internet. And it's Andy Daly, who if you don't know him by his name, you'd recognize him if you saw him. Uh, just a funny comedy actor. But he um he plays a guy uh, who hosts a show called Review, and it's where he um, people send in suggestions for things he should review, like life experiences, and then he reviews them. So that's the premise of the show within the show. And uh, so it's like, uh, you know, uh, wrestling someone, shooting someone, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, but so the show that he hosts slowly starts to like fuck up his life throughout the course of the whatever, like four seasons of the comedy central show review. Um, and it just gets more and more chaotic, but he just can't let go of this show. And you later learn that like the producer of the show is the Svengali. Who's like sort of, he's the puppet master who's making all this bad shit happen, blah, 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 blah. But what's crazy about review, the larger show is that, um, it ended, uh, naturally, it wasn't canceled. It ended naturally, but only like three episodes into its final season. And they didn't tell anyone that the show was ending then. And so, you know, it's the final season, but you don't know that it's ending so abruptly. Mm. So when the series finale actually happens, you're like, wow, this feels like a final kind of episode, the way everything's sort of coming to a head. And then Mm -hmm. it really is the end and that's it. And so the show ended without people knowing it was ending. um properly and i feel like that's such a unique experience that i've never seen a show do before that's Um, cool i would i would love it if more shows did that that's cool that's like that way what it it was their decision to end it that way or was it yeah and and i think i think they had announced that it was the final season but they hadn't told anyone that it was going to be such a short it was it was literally like three episodes yeah just as an aside I was looking to the Wikipedia page and they have, so I guess the whole premise is that he's rating things and each episode yes. on the Wikipedia list has the rating star system set up. So you right. can just like scroll through <laughs> eating I, a locker one guys, star being hunted so six out of six stars. I highly, and it's like three, four seasons. It's, it's short. It's so funny. Yeah. It looks That's great. Uh, that, whole like ending a season early feels like the indie movie version of like cutting to black and like yeah. a really sort of abrupt uh-huh. uh unexpected moment but you just yeah, do totally. it in the, you do it in the context of like a, a show publishing schedule not the runtime of a, a movie that's really cool 
Yeah. I like that too, because like, uh, shows oftentimes like feel pretty parasitic to me where it's just the show has a reaction to, Mm -hmm. to me watching it. And then it proceeds to, to continue making itself talking on a microscope and movies do that too. But like, it feels a little bit more visible with shows stuff like fan service or like oh sure. this thing is getting a second shows season shows are like super super conscious of their viewership to the degree that like I remember yeah. like Game of Thrones would get that way where it's like the gif making industrial complex so like they would mm-hmm. put a they would drop a piece of dialogue in that they know people would instantly like just go crazy over and post on social media about like Khaleesi said what you know that yeah, kind yeah, of shit yeah. um it- and for that reason, it just feels like this, like, a floating thing that will never sink unless, like, I let it. You know, it's just a, a show seemingly, like, doesn't have, uh, like, a regular mortal life cycle. Like, it could just kind of grotesquely, like, live on indefinitely just because I'm watching it. And so subverting that by like you only get three episodes last season yeah. nobody told you i like that yeah uh, that's, and I, that's, I want more of that <laughs> that's a good point it's pretty antithetical to that i do i do blame to a certain extent netflix whose model seems to be we are making shows for 1000 people you know there's like a show mm-hmm. where 1000 people watches it and that's it um i and i do think that's actively harmful to a certain extent because you're you know, Netflix is spending like $500 million or whatever to produce shit. Right. And it's Mm -hmm. just purely for subscriptions and eyeballs. Um, but I also think like that perpetuates this whole like culture of things being able to live past their, what, what you're saying, like, you know, this, this show will live on indefinitely and it's because it has this small devoted following. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That didn't really connect. And I don't know why that's bad. It just feels bad to me. It, I mean, I think it's from an artistic perspective, it just like dilutes the water. You know, there's yeah. just like too much volume, uh, not enough substance, but like it'll inevitably go that direction. So I don't know what to, I don't know how to complain about it in a way that's not just itchy. Well, there's also, yeah, because there's the the other, you know, side of that coin is the gatekeepy, like, oh, you know, 30 years ago, there were producers to, you know, decide what was broadcast. And it's like, yeah, those guys were awful. Uh, they were shitty, yeah. too. Um, and shows happened to get made that were good. But there's there's a happy middle ground that I don't know if we'll ever actually reach it. Happy medium is what I meant to say, not happy middle ground. Yeah, I experienced great surprisement when you use that terminology. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Boy, I got egg on my face right now. <laughs> did, you, did you pick up on that uh, Synecdoche reference I made a few minutes ago? Yeah, yeah. Raul, the yeah, routes that were outside here. It's getting Damn. real bad out here. Yeah. Oh, I did pick up on that. That's funny. That's I remember that because that's like a Ra- that Raul said that in that episode. Uh-huh. I think I probably edited it or something. Yeah, I think we talked. Yeah, we talked about that. That's the most important line of the whole movie. It's getting real bad out here. Yeah. Yeah. 
and Kill Team really, Hoffman is so like self-centered in his own world that he's not even yeah. noticing the collapse of the world around him. Yeah, I it's, know we we probably covered this on that episode, but that that movie is insane for like it can it gets so absurd and jokey and silly, and yet it even in those moments, mm-hmm. um, it's like devastating. It's so it's such a crazy like a uh, trick that he pulls with that movie. Yeah. I mean, not unlike this show. That yeah, we're totally. Talking about. Uh, yeah, I think he, you said in that episode, there's like a scene where somebody dies and it's been too long since I've seen it. I can't even really recall now. Someone's on their deathbed. Um, and like you made a comment about it, like it being there's like a joke, like something's played for laughs. But like you oh, said, it was like his, simultaneously. His yeah, his daughter. You, you said it was simultaneously like hilarious and really sad. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't remember the line. She's dying yeah. and she's like telling her father to admit to his homosexuality and basically like, you know, up, up, ask for forgiveness for all his sins, including his homosexuality. And he's just yes. like no, no, you got it all wrong. And then eventually he relents and he doesn't forgive her. She doesn't forgive him. Yeah. I I think it's because the movie, the movie is like haunted by sadness and, um, like, uh, just that like confusion and, and lost feeling that you feel like just moving in the world. And Mm -hmm. so like, despite it's, it's like, that's the miasma of the movie. So no matter how many jokes they throw at you or absurdities they throw at you, you're still not escaping that like fish fish net that you're caught in of mm-hmm. horrific, uh-huh. you know, depressive, oppressive yeah, yeah. experience. Yeah. That's why I really like Licorice Pizza a lot because it has his son and that character is just the complete opposite of his father in Synecdoche. That's so right. He's very life-affirming, very extroverted. Yeah. good socially despite you know he's he's still built with his dad's kind of pudgy unappealing <laughs> body but he makes it work for him and he's you know ultimately a success in every way yeah yeah, yeah. i love uh i love the fixation of waterbeds in that movie <laughs> something that i don't ever think about <laughs> I think the movie, when they first announced the movie, it was called Soggy Bottom. That was the working title for like years. Um, So it was going to be even more waterbed fixated. That's great. Soggy Bottom Boys. Oh, brother, where art thou? Yeah. Yeah. Grammy winners. That's a word association I just did there. I don't know if you guys saw that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Connected two movies weren't related to each other i'm watching uh, uh, fantastic uh, mr fox right now both starring george clooney wait you're watching it right now yeah i was you're like you were so you stopped watching it (laughs) (laughs) yeah we can't you're gonna and you're gonna continue i would love it if we could just see in the reflection of your glasses that (laughs) is playing in front of you Uh, um, this uh, you reminded me of something with the Mr. Fox comment. Mr. Fantastic. No. Nah, well, as you're thinking, not... Trevor, I will say Wes Anderson. That's another guy who can do that. Where like 
His movies are extremely funny, and yet they're just shot through with this, like, just... They can be um, just so sad. And yeah. We talked about... recent movie was really sad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, that movie was great, too. We talked about this, and I think when we did our episode on Rushmore, how, like, not unlike Barry, I guess... Uh, the movie like pivots a lot, but maybe not a lot, maybe like once or twice where um, it gets into like silly symmetrical Wes Anderson mode. And then like in the next breath, it's like the teacher is like, do you want to fuck me? Like in the, in the classroom, like it turns right. into a real serious sort of upsetting thing. And I don't think it ever gets quite that like visceral and upsetting in a lot of his subsequent movies, but they do cover like, similar mature taboo territory but it's just with that wes anderson like coat of paint all over yeah. it yeah yeah it's like in he it's like um it's like inhuman surroundings but with like really human textures you know mm. i think uh um, i like that yeah i think uh tenenbaums does that a lot too where it's like yeah everything's beautiful and beautifully tabloid and yet like a dog gets run over by you know a drug addled owen wilson it's that kind of shit where um yeah it's, it stays grounded pretty well there's yeah. there's incest oh and that reminds incest. me Th- that's what i wanted to ask you about you said you were watching game of thrones earlier or were you like legit watching like that the new stuff or whatever the yes House yeah game of, of thrones to all thrown up yes i already told you that that's what i'm watching <laughs> Are you, uh, though? Are you watching the new I am. whatever? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is House it good? of the Dragon. It's good. It's good. Um, I think, I don't know if this is actually the case, but it seems like HBO saw that everybody loved uh, Succession, which I love too, and they're like, oh, well, okay, we, we'll finally give George um, all the money to make that next show that he wants to make, which is just... It's a it's a throne succession drama. Um, so far, there's been like zero magic. The most magical thing that's happened is there are dragons and that's it. Um, it's really just. Hmm. It's basically a medieval drama. Um, so I I was so burned by the original show that I just I have no interest in the IP like at all anymore. So here's what I'll say. It's clear George R. R. Martin. So he he has a showrunner credit, or if not a showrunner credit, like it's like George R. R. Martin and the showrunner. That's what it's not Benioff mm-hmm. and Weiss or whatever, right? It's him mm-hmm. and someone else. And I think that's very clear in the way it's um, built. There are subtle differences, but then there are also like it's just like so. It only cares about this throne succession, this family drama. There's no, there is no incest. There is no crazy magic. There is no like it doesn't pop off the screen. Okay. If you're you gotta be into the like uh intricate relationships and backstabbing and all that shit. Like I think it's compelling. I think it's well okay. written. Um it's well realized. Uh it's pretty for the most part, like it doesn't look like shit. I feel like most TV shows do. Um, now and it it seems to avoid most of the like modern day TV show bullshit. So I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about it. Cool. Well, that's good to hear. Maybe I'll 
check it out eventually. Yeah. Uh, sorry to take us off topic. Man, I just, I really like the rehearsal. It's, uh, it's up there for like of things I've seen recently. It for sure. It was, and to be on the list of like things that I've really liked recently, like it really has to be something ambitious and different mm-hmm. in, in a way, in just the right way for me. And I think it hit all the marks. Do you feel like this show has a lot of like rewatch value? Uh, no. No. I do. Okay. I did not. See, I, I would tend to agree with Raul. Uh, I mean, I, I will still rewatch this show, I'm sure. Uh, but like as it compares to like Nathan for you, I'm not interested on the same level. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I think um, I think I'm a bit in the middle because like, yeah, I don't think it's uh, nearly as rewatchable as Nathan for you just because that's so episodic. But I do think a second rewatch would be very rewarding. Mm-hmm. And subsequent re- rewatches would be um, just enjoyable because they're mm-hmm. funny. The show is will always be funny, and I think mm-hmm. I think that's to its credit because it could have easily been not funny, uh, you know, in the last couple episodes when it starts to blow, kind of blow itself up. Um, but instead, I think it remained pretty funny, even that last episode. Like I said, so um, yeah, I don't know. I mean. I guess we'll see what the rest of the series is like only because with Nathan for you, you have what four seasons. Um, You have quite a few episodes with this. It's more self-contained. It's a smaller experience. So it might not be apples to apples. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I I agree. It's a great first watch and I already kind of did the rewatch of it as well. Um, But as really, you went through it a second time. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Kind of here and there. Like, I think I rewatched the finale, like, almost immediately afterwards. Mm. Um, and then I've just kind of been... I rewatched the first episode today. And so I, okay. I've just about done a rewatch. And uh, it's good, but you can tell during the second watch through that I don't think this is going to... I don't think I can wring anything out from a third. Mm-hmm. And uh, I felt the same way about Barry just to get back on the berry train, like the first watch yeah. through, it was unbelievable. And then the second time through was good just to like catch stuff that I had missed. But then I think now I've tried to kind of rewatch it a little bit and I'm bored by it now. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Like, uh, you watch it to, what did you just, um, for the shock factor version one, uh, then it's to like do any cleanup on anything you missed. (laughs) And then beyond that, like the show has to rely on some sort of like renewable energy source of entertainment, which is like a difficult thing to, to do. And and maybe it doesn't really happen anymore with shows. They, these shows like, uh, Barry and, and the rehearsal hit me at such an emotional core. You just can't reliably reproduce that emotional response in a person i don't think which i which is why i think it's so good that maybe why it's not the same reason it's not rewatchable yeah i i mean i just sent you guys a twin peaks meme and i think actually the return 
is the perfect example of like the opposite of that. I think it's infinitely rewatchable because it's like infinitely mysterious <laughs> and you'll gain something new from every rewatch. So I think that's rare now. Like, you know, with shows like fucking Cheers or something, like you can rewatch that for the rest of your life and you're still, it's funny. It's still funny. Um, and yeah. they, that doesn't really happen anymore. I think the model for TV in general is just totally different for better or for worse. The last experience I had with this was like The Office and it was like um, a drug. I always like make the comparison that it was like doing heroin for like a few years of my life where it it, in some ways like consumed my personality in a way that I'm not proud to admit. And like I went to that well so often that now it's just like it's poison. Like I can't really... I can't really go back to it in a mm-hmm. in a meaningful way. Yeah, yeah. It, I, obsession I totally plays a very big role in my life because I, I have stuff like that too. What did you say, Raul? I didn't hear what either of you said. <laughs> we just canceled each other out. <laughs> yeah. uh, I said that like obsession, you know, which is what I think that is, and because I've had this before with stuff, um, is yeah something that I a mode that my mind can kick into very easily Mm -hmm. i think the what's funny is the office and this is almost like a meme now the uh, the office's place in our culture is kind of a meme now that it it is like the millennial infinite rewatch show but i do think it's the last show of that kind right like i don't think what else i mean maybe parks and rec to a lesser degree that came after it but like what what else really holds that mantle I mean, something that came after The Office. Yeah. Produced uh, since since then that's, like, held that same sway as, like, the show to rewatch. And I have a hard time thinking of it. In the larger especially culture? Shows, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, especially shows much. made in the last, like, ten years. Like, I think things are so disposable now. Um, yeah. By design. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't. I can't give you a good answer right now. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. What do you guys rewatch a lot now? Not a lot, to be honest. Um, by like on purpose oh, yeah. for the the same reason I just described with The Office, which is I don't want to get sucked into this habit of just recycling my content. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have less time like anybody else who's getting older. So like it feels a little bit more silly to rewatch things um not to say that you can't rewatch them but like the the mindset that i was in it as i obsessively watched the office like back in the day was a guy who had a little bit more free time and didn't care about uh the way that time was spent day to day a little bit yeah, yeah. definitely less than i do yeah i rewatch movies and I think I think the energy I would spend, the time and energy I would spend rewatching a TV show is now um, has been displaced to video games. So mm-hmm. there are there are video games that I will replay, and that's probably as much of a time suck as TV shows are. But uh, for the most part, I don't really. And um, yeah, I think it's just a getting older thing and realizing your own mortality and you just don't want to although i will say uh simpsons like the first you know 10 seasons of the simpsons i think were my infinite rewatch show and they still can be they aren't old to me 
I'll take it back. It, it's Futurama for me. Yeah. yeah. That Futurama yeah, that's is my thing. I do that too because Grace hasn't really ever seen Futurama to a complete, to completion. And so uh-huh. uh, we just watch, we watch that anytime we have some spare, spare time during dinner or something. And it's yeah. easy, it's low great. commitment. Totally. I watched the, the shit out of King of the Hill. Oh, yeah. King of the Hill's day, every day. My, mm-hmm. my wife is, uh, she's a King of the Hill completist. I never got past, like, season, I don't know, nine or ten. But she's seen it all, I think, like, multiple. It's That's her, like, background show uh-huh. right now. I thought it was The Office. I thought that. It was. And then, yeah. And I think King of the Hill's overtaken that. Supplanted for it. For sure. Yeah. Huh. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I also feel like a sense of shame about it (laughs) because it's even beyond like, I'm trying to get a grasp of what it is exactly, even beyond just being a waste of time and a lost opportunity cost of being able to do something else. There's just something about like, just the base idea of keep, of keeping feeding your brain the exact same stimulus over and over and reliably being able to like get you off yeah that i just i feel like maybe that's not a something i should lean into yes much. yeah i can relate i can relate to that yeah yeah because you you feel so like there's the there's the joke in the um classic comedy tommy boy where um chris farley's like eating i think he's eating a hamburger or something and david spade says i can hear you getting fatter so like I I can hear my brain getting dumber. Maybe not dumber. Maybe <laughs> not dumb. I don't know what the word is. Stacked. But it's like my brain deadening to a certain degree when yeah. I'm watching shit like that. Like I can feel myself giving into the nostalgia, the mm. the dopamine, like whatever that is. I can you can feel it. You can feel yourself giving into it, and that's not a good feeling. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. At all. It is the comfort zone that people say that you should get out of. When people say, get out of your comfort zone, that's that's the epitome of the comfort zone. That's the zone that they were referring to. But but there are comfort zones that are are sort of enriching to get into. It's like, you know, Mm -hmm. and being embraced by a loved one or like, you know, developing a new hobby. But that is like, it is such a degenerative experience, you know. It's not generative. It's maybe not that. generative. Yeah, maybe yeah. it's not degenerative, but it's not generative. It's a totally it, neutral. Yeah. <laughs> it depreciates maybe in that's value. Worse. <laughs> yeah. Or it or it remains the same regardless of inflation. Right. Uh-huh. Right. It does. It not does appreciate. diminish a little bit because eventually you hit the point of where you're like, I just can't rewatch like Futurama again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where the enjoyment starts. To, it, it is like a drug addiction. Where over it's, time the the the, totally. the highs are getting squeezed sure. down, yet you are still locked into that. Yeah, eventually that you're like shooting up into your penis, and you're like, "This better work." Because yeah, what am I going to do if I stop doing this? Right, <laughs> it's like I've, yeah. yeah. The Futurama works for me in that way because it's so like um, it's a it's a it's like cigarettes that I'm not addicted to. That like right. I'll smoke a cigarette if like uh, someone offers me a cigarette. Not in real life. I don't smoke cigarettes, but uh, I'll do it. But it doesn't really affect me. Like I can walk away and not watch Futurama for a year. Mm-hmm. But like 
uh, I could watch it for like a week solid or not at all for a year. And like either totally. is fine. So totally. like in that way, it feels like an addiction that's like easily kicked for me. And for the same reason as where I, why I stay far away from the office. Yeah. No. For the same reason I, I, or because that w- that's a cigarette that you wouldn't be able to pull down, put down? It would, be, it would probably be like a cigarette it would be hard for me to put down. Not so much anymore because it's like the thing where it's like your dad makes you smoke like a pack of cigarettes so you'll never smoke a cigarette mm-hmm. again. Like that's more so the reaction that I have to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's like I don't want it because it's a bad cigarette and I've also just been burned on cigarettes. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of like when you go to the store and you buy a carton of cigarettes instead of buying the individual packs. Now you think you're mm-hmm. getting more for your money's worth, but in fact, like now anywhere you go by law, it's no more cheaper to get that carton than it is to just buy the same number of packs individually. You know what mm. I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're bringing economics into it. Yeah, no, yeah. I will say this is the final thing I'll, I'll add to this is... I think for The Office, that specific example compared to something like Simpsons of the Futurama, I just won't. uh, The Office, joke by joke, may make me laugh, but I'm not watching it because it makes me laugh or I'm not watching it because it's a funny show to me. I'm watching it because it's some sort of, yeah, comfort experience. Whereas Uh, like Futurama, I I sent Trevor the, the cash for bones joke from Futurama because I just randomly thought of it and I watched it maybe conservatively 10 times and it, I laughed every time. So like that show will still make me genuinely laugh. And that's like not an experience that you can really pass up. So I'd happily watch something like Futurama or the Simpsons because they still make me laugh. They, they make you laugh and they're like constructed in such a way that there's not some sort of super dramatic backdrop that you're still paying attention to like with the office like jim and pam's romance or whatever i mean you've got the whole fry and leela thing that feels like a more dramatic play but you can just watch you can just like pop a pill of like futurama or simpsons and it's like no big deal whereas it it feels like the show is demanding that you be a little bit more invested when you watch the office Totally. It's what Matt Grading calls a rubber band universe. You can stretch it all you want in, an, in a given episode, but then you let go and it snaps back and you're back to the regular size in the next episode. Is, is the thing in The Simpsons called, it's called like a floating timeline? No one ever ages, like every episode resets. Is that the, is that the name of it? Because yes, that's what it is. It's like everyone's yeah. eternally, Bart's eternally 10. Yeah, that's what I feel like I've heard it referred to as a floating timeline. That makes sense. I don't know. Uh, Is that what it's called? A floating... (laughs) Um, Yeah, media. 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 Yeah, that was a little bit of a a tangent. Well, to to wrap up for me, I don't know if I have anything more to say about the rehearsal. I will say that uh, I'm privileged that I got to watch it because I think it was a completely unique experience like viewing experience mm-hmm. and to that degree i'm a little apprehensive about a second season but i'm also excited because i do think nathan is a super just a super smart creative guy and i kind of hope that like he does the thing that he he did before which is where like he got nathan for you then he receded and produced like a really funny show 
that was of his same sensibilities, but not him. And then he made his new show. Like maybe like maybe he just keeps things generative by to to pull a word uh, <laughs> by like just finding these new voices or producing these new shows and then like coming back to make his thing. I found that like I um, am increasingly have uh, gaining more respect or like admiration for Nathan Fielder. I think when I first um, encountered him with uh, Nathan for you and now like the YouTube algorithm feeds me all of his like old like news broadcast things, yeah, whatever that whatever that show was. Yeah. Um, Nathan on your side. This uh-huh. hour has. Uh-huh. 20 minutes I think, that's right the show and his segment mm-hmm. on your side. and your side which is just like nationwide slogan which is funny um but like i'm realizing now that like those are just like silly things i'm like oh this guy's like really funny and like nathan for you is really funny and ridiculous and now it's like i'm starting to admire him like in a deeper like artistic way which is strange because usually like there's not a bridge between those two things. Uh, yeah. I remember someone uh, who I was watching the first episode with where he's talking about his ex-wife. Um, someone made the comment. It's like, can you imagine being like married to like Nathan Fielder? He, like, do you imagine what that would be like? And I just, without hesitation, was like, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so a little insight as to like how my opinion of Nathan has evolved for the last few years. Um, yeah, no, I think, uh, uh, great stuff from both of you. And, and, you know, I feel very inspired right now just to talk about Nathan, um, picking up on, on Justin, what you brought up and Trevor, what you continued is just, I, I am admiring Nathan a lot. And I had a very similar trajectory that, Trevor described where at first I just you know really found what he was doing was funny and then towards the end of Nathan for you when he was like starting to do like a lot more ambitious stuff like Finding Francis that was basically just a a movie that was really emotional and very had a lot of depth to it uh I I started to get a, a much better appreciation for him and then as he's went on to do How To which was another very subtle very kind of brooding introverted just show and then now with the rehearsal like he's somebody that i now respect in the same tiers as like great directors like wes anderson um just like at that level like i think he is an incredibly smart and creative person above all else and he's a unique voice and i love what he what he does and for this reason and more i'll give the rehearsal 10 replacement babies out of 10 (laughs) nicely done uh i'm gonna give it a 10 out of 10 um laptop uh halter top the apparatus whatever Uh, that thing is indelible image from the show i'm gonna give Mm -hmm. it um 10 out of 10 um, broken child labor laws. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, we never talked about how just like intrinsically like legal and transparently legal both of 
his shows always are. Uh-huh. Like, he he clearly all... has a fixate. Like he finds it very funny to delve into the weeds of the legal system and the gray areas they're in. <laughs> yeah. Release forms are basically a comedic crutch for him. At this yes. Point. Yeah. Absolutely. The, the, the scene that comes to mind is when he leaps over the lawyer's desk yep. in, in Nathan for you. Yeah, 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 he's yeah, like, yeah. he's like, I don't know if you're just doing this for the show or what, <laughs> but like, I'm going to ask you to leave. <laughs> <laughs>